This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, July 12, 2020, offered for Trinity Commons online worship. The principal text for the sermon is Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 34, which is the story of the birth of Esau and Jacob and Esau's selling of his birthright to Jacob. So when I was in law school, one of the elective classes that I took was on wills and estates. It was a class that I must confess I was not particularly interested in, but it was one of those classes that was recommended to help you do better on the bar exam because estate law was complicated. There is something in human nature that has historically predisposed us to be very concerned about what happens to our stuff when we die. The goal for lawyers, we learned in law school, is to encourage people to get them to write a will. That way they can spell out their wishes, specify who they want to have the good china, who gets to keep the dog, and who takes care of the children. For folks with a lot of money, writing a will is a complicated affair of creating ways to dispose of property without it going to the dreaded probate court where lawyers' fees and taxes reduce the value of the estate. We learned in wills and estates that if you don't take the time to make a will, then the law will determine how your property gets distributed. The law is complex, sometimes archaic, and is mechanical. There is no provision that can deal with complex blended families of the 21st century. It makes no provision for what child was your favorite or who you may be told could have the good set of China. The law simply looks at who you are married to, who is your biological or adopted child, And finally, and ultimately, who is left living at the time that you die, provided that they survive at least five days after your death. This summer, we have spent a lot of time reading these stories in Genesis that tells us about complex family relationships. And a lot of the focus is on how the promise of God is going to be passed from one generation to the next. We've seen it with the covenant made with Abraham and the promise of a child and Abraham's attempts to sort of in-run God's plan by having a child with Hagar and then ultimately having a son with Isaac. Now, Isaac has a wife, and he is facing familiar problems with achieving an heir to pass on the promise that God has given. Rebecca is barren, but through God's intervention, she conceives. But there is trouble brewing from the very beginning. The pregnancy is difficult, and she prays to God about it, and God says, 
surprise, you're having twins. And oh, by the way, they're never going to get along. You have two nations in your womb and that there will always be division. This sets the stage for the brothers to always be in conflict. When the twins are born, Esau is born first, Jacob second, though he comes out gripping Esau's heel. The, our passage describes them as being very different from one another. But because Esau was born first, he is assumed to be the heir of the larger portion of his father's estate and of God's blessing that was proclaimed to Abraham. Our story today tells us that Esau, in a fit of hunger after a day of hunting, sells his birthright, his claim to his portion of the father's estate to Jacob. This is just step one in Jacob's coup. This will be completed later on, though we won't read it on a Sunday, when Jacob tricks Isaac into giving him the God's blessing. And with that, Jacob earns his name and supplants Esau in the inheritance of not just his father's stuff, but of God's promise. While this is an interesting story, perhaps one that could be featured in Game of Thrones at some point, it leaves us with me, at least, asking the question, so what? Why are we reading this as part of our Sunday worship, this weird story of Jacob who schemes and tricks his brother into first giving away his birthright and then next in tricking his father and giving his blessing? Biblical scholars are quick to point out that Jacob's trickery is not being offered as an exemplar of behavior. We are not being called upon to engage in this type of activity. When we follow the story from this passage to the taking of the blessing, both brothers are shown to have complicated motives in what's going on. Neither Jacob nor Esau are the hero or the villain of this family saga when we read the whole story. Jacob's scheme also ultimately is not really immediately successful. He gets the birthright and then he gets the blessing and then he's got to leave town because Esau is so mad and is so much bigger and stronger than he is that he's going to kill him. And so Jacob has to essentially give up everything that he has won. So I don't think God is calling us to engage in Game of Thrones to figure out and plot how we pass over power from one generation to the next. So what? Why do we read this story? I think when we look at the story of Jacob and Esau, we see that we are continuing the narrative that we see throughout Genesis that God chooses to act through the unlikely people and particularly through people that we would consider underdogs. God acts to make barren women mothers. We see that with Sarah and with Rebecca. And we see that God prefers to work through the younger son, whether it's preferring Abel to Cain or passing the promise through Isaac and not Ishmael, and now through Jacob and Esau, God seems to work 
through the son that should not by right inherit anything. I think this is to show us that God's promise and blessing is not subject to our human frailty or our human control. The promise of God is not subject to our arbitrary distinctions, such as everything should go to the first son, or limited by our understanding of how power works in the world. It's not directed by our law or controlled by our will, that ultimately the promise of God is neither dependent on us nor defined by us. So what? What does this mean for our current age when there seems to be so much shouting and fighting and conflict, where we seem to have all sorts of groups, young activists, old activists, all these people that are calling for change and for doing things differently and taking down systems, all these people that have been powerless and ignored in our country, Black Lives Matter, the LGBTQ community, feminist, indigenous people, the poor people, youth, anti-gun, anti-racist, anti-confederate monument, anti-this, anti-that, all of these people that are shouting, saying that something needs to be done differently, and then we hear in response from people shouting back, claiming heritage and tradition and rights. Some days it certainly gets overwhelming for me to try to sort through the voices that we hear and to resist the temptation of painting one side versus the other side in broad brushstrokes to make them caricatures that make it easy and simple for me. So for me, in 2020, in this time of pandemic and societal unrest, the so what of the Jacob and Esau story is this, that often our fiercest conflict happens with our closest kin, and that God is present in that conflict, and that actually we don't have to scheme or fight for God's blessing because God's promise and blessing is abundant. When we read the whole story, we learn that ultimately both Jacob and Esau were blessed with descendants and land and nations. It also tells me that as we listen to the voices in our country and in our communities, as we see upheaval around the world, that we do need to pay particular attention to the voices of the unlikely, the unheard, the underdogs in our community. While God's grace and blessing is not controlled by our plans, limited by our understanding, or dominated by our systems, we do see in the story of Jacob and in the story of Abraham and in the story from our very beginning of creation that God again and again works through those that the world undervalues or rejects. And so maybe we should pay attention. Amen.